Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus. And together, we are the Minimalists. Welcome to episode 154. I believe it's 154. We're trying something new today. We don't have notes in front of us. We have questions. We're winging it. In front of us. We're winging it. Yes. And so what we did is we wanted to turn to our Patreon supporters and and ask you if you had specific questions for us. So I reached out to you all this morning. And we're gonna we're gonna call this episode minimal because we're gonna answer questions about minimalism. I asked if our Patreon supporters had questions for the minimalist. And I, I said, have a question. Please keep it to two sentences or less is what I asked them, and I'm oh, gonna yeah. ask you to do the same thing, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> what does winging it mean? I mean, I know what it means, but where does that idiom come from? I don't know. Just winging it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, I don't know. I don't know. Someone comment on the video below. And on let YouTube? us know where that idiom came from. Winging yes, it. where where if you're winging it, <laughs> what does that mean exactly? <laughs> I mean, we know what it means. We just don't know where it came from. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. why does it mean that? Why does like, it mean? What's the original meaning? Yeah. Meaning? It's got. It has to do something with like. Airplanes. What's the etymology of the word? Or something. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Anyway, shout out to the Wright brothers, Dayton, Ohio, born Ooh. and raised. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Our first question is from Irina, who did not listen to the two sentences or less. Oh, my goodness. I have a company which right now doesn't produce enough money in order for me to save up. Mm. I make enough to live, pay my rent, and buy food and pay bills. I also have a YouTube channel that sometimes brings some money. I am not sure whether to focus more on YouTube so that I can create another stream of income or try to find another stream of income. What would you do? Okay, so so Ryan, um, I think if you're trying to do something creative, I would never look at it as a stream of income. Yeah, I mean, uh, th- yes, like looking at Irene, Irina, Irene, Irina, looking at Irina's question, you know, she's she's got these talents, but trying to just talents, talents. <laughs> She has talents and trying to find one of these talents to drive an income from or or a passion. Let's call it a passion, not a talent, but like so she's passionate about something. I totally agree. Like looking specifically to make money off of a passion is not the best approach, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I thought uh, Seth Godin did a podcast recently. He was he was talking about sequence, how sequence is important. And you don't, like, if you have a big spaghetti dinner in front of you, you don't take, like, a wet nap and wipe your mouth before you eat the spaghetti dinner. Yes, that's a great analogy. You wait until you've got the spaghetti all over You're you. You're so smart, quoting Seth Godin. <laughs> <laughs> Sean edited out the part about Seth Godin. I have this original thought. <laughs> <laughs> about spaghetti. About spaghetti. Uh, no, that's, that, so the, in this that's ca- a brilliant analogy, man. I see in, exactly what, what that means. In this case, spaghetti, the spaghetti is the creativity, right? And so express yourself creatively. Now, you may or may not be able to make a full-time or even part-time income from that creativity, mm-hmm. but you might be able to make a difference in the world with that creativity. Yeah. And eventually, if you help enough people solve enough problems, then money will follow. People pay money for things. This is how capitalism works, yeah. is they pay money for solutions to what they perceive to be a problem yes if you add value to people's lives they will go out of their way to support you 
Like whether it's, I mean, when I think about when we first started the minimalists, uh, I mean, what did we make that first year? Like 28,000 bucks. I made $23,000. I yeah, assume you made this yeah, the same. Yeah, we did. And it's just crazy how, you know, people didn't necessarily support us monetarily. Like, Oh, you know that you guys came out with a book. I'm going to buy, you know, a million copies of your book. But, but people, I mean, some people did do that, but other people also went out of their way to offer us a place to stay while we were on tour or take us out for a meal. So, I mean, even though it wasn't like this direct, uh, stream of income from those, those examples, bringing us out to a meal, staying in our house, people still go out of their way to add value. Mm -hmm. So Irina, really what you've got to do is figure out ways that you can add more value. And then once you do that, people will go out of the way to support you. I mean, you could do something as simple as, uh, well, we, we have a Patreon. Mm-hmm. And Josh and I go way out of our way to add as much value as we can uh, to those uh, subscribers. And Irina, you could do the same exact thing. I mean, if you're, if you're looking to expand your, uh, y- your revenue streams, I mean, there's a million different ways to do it. Um, you just got to find a way that is going to work best for you and your audience and, and, you know, just put it out there. And if you're looking to be more financially secure in the short term, do something that's going to make you money. If there's, if there's, if money is an outcome for you, I totally get that. It's always going to be part of the recipe. Absolutely. And and I I don't want to deny like, well, don't ever worry about money. That's not what I'm saying here. It can't be the primary driver for your creative outlets Mm -hmm. because you're going to forsake quality and creativity because you're trying to conform to a particular ideology or you're trying to please everyone. And, And so if you need to make money in the short term, to pay off debt, to save up some money, then go drive a Uber or Lyft. Go find a way to get a, a side hustle. You know, our friend Chris Gillibo has a great podcast called Side Hustle, and he has a book uh, called Side Hustle as well. Yeah. And he talks about people who set up these side hustles that may or may not become their full-time hustles, uh, their full-time incomes, mm-hmm. but it's enough to supplement what their regular income is. So yeah. I, I would definitely recommend that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and just to reiterate what I was saying at the beginning, when you take a passion and you challenge yourself, I shouldn't say challenge yourself, you put pressure on yourself mm-hmm. to make money off of that passion. It is a very, uh, that's a very good way to kill a passion a lot of the time. Yeah, times. go back to episode uh, 123. We did a podcast with... Uh, with our good friend Paul from Canyon City. Yeah. And we talked about hobbies. And one thing he did, he signed this big like record contract and he was making he was finally making a full time living off of music. And by the way, he's one of the most talented musicians I've ever met. Yeah. And he signed this contract and he was finally making a full time living off of music. Yeah. Except it wasn't the music that he wanted to make. And right. it was just so crushing for him. Yeah. And so one of the ways to kill your passion is to try to make an income off of it. Make that your primary driver and watch your watch your passion just die on the vine. Yeah. Yeah. I I uh I I am so glad that we have not forced ourselves into doing that. Because yeah. if we I mean if we did take on projects that we just felt like our audience was going to um buy or you know whatever uh, instead of doing it for ourselves what we were really passionate about um, we might find ourselves in the same situation that Paul was in yeah I mean we could do the declut- the minimalist decluttering gu- guide to decluttering here's 67 steps to right. declutter at your home or whatever yeah and 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 that's just not appealing to us right because mm-hmm. we we like to talk about the purpose and the why behind what we're doing the how stuff is important and you have to certainly inject it in there we share our recipe that's our how mm-hmm. and you can figure out what works well for you Connor asks What's one long-term goal slash ambition you want to realize in the next year? In the ne- within the next 365 days? 
Yeah, maybe let's just say by the end of 2019. Okay. Oh man. Um. Well, we got to get this other documentary out. Yeah, that's a big one for me right now. Like yeah. to, to me, so Ryan and I, for those of you who aren't aware of our sort of strategy, if you want to call it that, it's or it's it's maybe it's anti-strategy in a way because we we tend to take on one big project at a time. Yeah. And uh, that usually is like one per calendar year. And that, that shifts. Uh, and in fact, this one is shifting right now because we finished this documentary, the second documentary, and we got the first cut. And we're like, wow, this is good. And that's the problem. It's good. We didn't want it to be good. In fact, there were parts of it that were great, but we wanted it to be outstanding. We wanted it to be the best we can do given the resources we have. And so we had to go back and say, all right, we're, we're actually during the month of October, we are reshooting certain segments of the documentary in mm-hmm. different locations so that we can look ourselves in the mirror and say, you know what? This is the best I could do. It's never going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. So I never have a goal or objective of, of, of perfection because I'm always going to, that's the expectation part. Yeah. Instead, so instead of us having these, these crazy expectations, we just have really high standards for anything that we create. Yeah. And the next thing we're working on, we can't talk about yet. Not yet. But we, uh, oh, this is, is an ink dry yet on that. Uh, <laughs> it is, it is drying. It's just drying right now. Okay. We'll probably be able to talk about it early 2019. So our next big project is something different from this this <clears throat> second documentary and talking about not allowing money to be a primary driver we we signed a deal i won't tell you what kind of deal it's a storage container business <laughs> <laughs> could you imagine yeah but they're tiny containers yeah they're tiny containers <laughs> <laughs> so you have to run a bunch of them oh my goodness and they cost just as much as regular containers right, that's the beauty of it um no it, the thing is, like, we had we had this small sort of bidding war on this next project that we want to work on, and if money was the primary driver, we actually wouldn't have done the deal that we did because there were other opportunities for us to make a whole lot more money Wait off of this project. Off of this project, but it wasn't the right fit because what we believe in is getting our creativity out there in we a want way. A partner. We yeah. want someone who like believes in us. I mean, when I think about. Uh, when we were looking for um, uh, someone to represent uh, us uh, for PR, I mean, I, I talked to like 20 different people. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we ended up going with Sarah, Sarah. Miniachi was because she was bought into us. I mean, she was she was actually, it wasn't like, a, okay, guys, uh, if you want to get your book out, here's what I'm going to do for you. I mean, she was excited to work with us, excited to help us uh, promote our book and, and, and to help us with our tour. And, and that's that's what we look for uh, with anyone that we bring on the team, whether it's you know PR, whether it's uh, a, a deal that we're talking about right now, the deal we're talking about, or Jordan or Sean. Um, we're just... Jess. We, Jess, yeah. We want Jeff, Dave. We might as well name them all now. <laughs> but yeah, anyone that we work with... Um, it, money is definitely a factor. Like you said, it's always going to be a factor. It has to play but, into it. Because, but that is not the number one driver. Right. It's it's going to be an ingredient in the recipe or, or maybe a better analogy. It's going Money will be a a passenger in the vehicle, but you don't want to let it drive. Yeah. I mean, if that was the case, dude, we'd, we could like sell out and do advertisements on this podcast. Yeah, and, but not just any like and the, retire. There's probably a way we could do advertisements on this podcast that would align with our values. But but if if money was a primary driver, we would just do pre roll, mid roll, after mm-hmm. roll, and just like cram in fifteen commercials about a bunch of stuff we don't care about, we don't use, whatever, and just cram it in, cram it in, yeah. and uh, and act like we were excited about it too. Yeah, yeah. Drew asks, I just finished paying off my debt and say and saving. 
for an emergency. I'm saving for an emergency nice. fund. Nice. Congratulations. Like, yeah. That is awesome. I know I'm looking to move somewhere closer to work. Is it bad to spend a bit more for an apartment that has an extra bedroom that I want for a home office or is it wasteful? When I'm single, but would still be saving 30% of my income, even with the extra room. That is, it, there's not a black or white answer to that, right? Yeah. I mean, there are, there are times when, yes, you should save the money. It depends on what you're, what you're saving for. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. if, if I was in his situation, I would ask myself, what is it that I'm actually saving for? Yeah, what is my outcome here? Yeah. Because maybe maybe the outcome is I want to be more productive and this office is going to help me do that. I think about our friend Rob Bell. Mm-hmm. One thing he did when he was living in Grand Rapids and he was trying to protect his time for creating because he was managing this large organization. He was, he was working at a church. And the weird thing about be, becoming the creative person at a church, you're also the manager. And so like you're, people are dragging you to all these meetings and stuff. And he found right. himself being like, he was lo- he was losing his time to create. When we were mm-hmm. we were sitting down with the uh, the Today Show yesterday, when they came out here to talk with us, uh, one of the things you talked about with with the gal Joe, who was who was interviewing us, um, is protecting your mornings. Yeah. And you're, what you're really talking about is protecting this creative time or this time for health or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And for Rob, what he did is he rented a like just a crappy office with just a desk and a chair in it downtown away from home away from um his his office at work mm. and it was just this office it was solely for creating and he's like i would go there and spend two to four hours a day and as long as i was creating for at least a couple hours a day then it was worth it to me even though i had to spend you know a few hundred dollars a month in order to do that mm. so if your outcome is creativity drew then maybe it, it makes sense for that extra money but is that creativity worth the worth the money you're giving up that you could spend on something else? Is there something greater than that? And also, let's not fool ourselves and think we have to have the perfect setup in order to be creative. I, right. I think of Stephen King and he wrote, uh, I think, his first couple books in his laundry room mm. because he didn't have an office. So he was just hanging out in his laundry room. Right. Yeah. And, and I think of some of the most creative times in my life have been with constraints. So I didn't have the perfect writing area. I had this crappy Ikea desk and a crappy chair and it was facing a brick wall, not looking out a window. There was nothing pristine. I was in Dayton, Ohio in this tiny little apartment and I was facing a wall and writing mm-hmm. and it didn't matter what the i didn't have to have the perfect office with the potted plant and everything else creating is creating mm-hmm. regardless of your location yeah i think for me the most there's a minimal maximum for you podcast <clears throat> sean the the most important thing for me is to just have as little distractions as possible yes so uh like i'll right now i just sit on my sofa and i write uh when i when i do write or i'll sit on the floor indian style and tilt my computer up a little bit you know so i can see it and just write on the floor uh for me it's not about the atmosphere as much as it is well i mean it is the atmosphere because you can clutter the atmosphere but it's not about like being in these uh having these certain parameters being in this certain space it's more about clearing as much as many distractions out of the way as possible when I go to write. So, if the solution for uh, for him for Brett Brent uh, Drew <laughs> <laughs> for Drew, sorry Drew. Uh, so so for Drew for you man, if having this office is the best way for you to create distraction free, 
then go for it, man. But you know what, Drew? Like you're the only one that knows what what is going to be best for you. The other thing too is you're saving thirty percent of your income. That's huge. What is uh, what does Ramsey usually recommend? Twenty five percent. Well, it depends say? what you mean by by saving. So so one thing that he writes in his book, Smart Money, Smart Kids, that, and I think this is applicable to adults especially, but you teach your kids when they're young and we're starting something like this with Ella now because she's finally starting to grasp the concept of money and mm-hmm. that like the dirty pieces of paper in my pocket are actually worth something and you have to earn those those dirty pieces of paper mm-hmm. and so he has like three envelopes or three buckets basically you have a, a savings envelope a giving envelope and a spending envelope mm-hmm. for kids and I, I think the same the same thing is true so in terms of saving for your future he tends to recommend 20 percent of of your income yeah so saving 30 percent i mean drew you're 10 percent of what you know dave ramsey recommends but i know like some people in the fire community finance I don't know what the acronym is. I don't know. Put it in the notes, podcast, Sean. But uh, the the fire community, they... We're, we're part of a documentary they, they've got coming out. We'll put a link to it. The, they have like a Kickstarter. Uh, it's about... Oh, yeah. That'd be great to put a link to that in the in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. So so you and I sat down and we did this interview for the fire community. And it's really about... It, it's about... Financial independence, retire early. Yes. That's what it is. There you go. Yeah. And, uh, and and that community is you know made up of a bunch of different types of people who, who are interested in... in no longer letting money being the 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 driver of all the discontent in our lives. Yeah, and they uh, like some of those guys in the community, some of those guys and gals, they will save upwards of fifty percent of their of their income. Uh-huh. But see, they have different goals. Like Drew, what are your goals, man? Yeah. Like the, the people in the fire community, they are trying to get financial dependence and retire early, as early as possible. So Drew, if that's your goal then maybe you do give up that office to save a little bit more each month. But if your goal is to not, you know, just retire at, you know, 55, 65, you know, whenever, whenever a normal retirement age is, then, then yeah, uh, get, get the extra bedroom and, and, and create the perfect uh, situation for you to create in. I think I think that's that's a really good point because if our goal was to make money with this podcast, we, like you said, we would have put advertisements on it. Mm-hmm. We actually spend money to make this podcast, which seems counterintuitive, right? Mm-hmm. Because we rent this studio space here, we pay for all the equipment, we don't do any ads. We pay podcast Sean, we pay Jordan Joe Nomo. Joe Nomo is, is the uh, the YouTube consensus on yeah. his new nickname, and uh, and and. What, what the reason we're doing this though is because the message we believe in allows us to consistently share that message via this vehicle that is different from the other vehicles that we use whether it's our books mm-hmm. whether it is our writing whether it is our film or documentary uh, um, whatever it is like we actually spend money to put this podcast out there every month yeah. thankfully our patreon supporters help help supplement that but yeah it, i was I was just getting ready to mention them, man. Like, thank God for them. They are they really help out with a lot of this. I think once we get to three thousand Patreon supporters, then we'll, we'll have enough to break even on then this we'll thing. Then we'll be happy. <laughs> no, we're already <laughs> happy, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll still be happy. Oh, okay. But yeah, so if you do want to support us, I'll say this only once during this podcast. It's just theminimalists.com slash support. We do a bonus podcast every week as well. Uh, it's called the the Minimalist Private Podcast. We 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 do a postscript episode. We also do Ask the Minimalists anything episodes and live streams every month over there on patreon silvio asks i have a five-month-old son and so it's been five months since myself and my wife have had a good night's sleep oh man you it's been, relate, about, relate. been about 10 years for me but anyway <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> do you have a ten-year-old son? No, I just sleep like garbage. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. I think uh, I think that's a, actually this is this would be a good time to talk about it. Uh, Josh, how has having a child changed your idea or practices as a minimalist? So um, let me just say this: uh, uh, Ella is not a special needs child. She is a special wants child. Mm. She has very special wants, and uh, <laughs> um, she she when she was really young. Special once. I'm sorry. That's good. <laughs> uh, I was going to say something earlier. When you talk about sitting cross-legged on the couch, are you uh, no, afraid? No, cross-legged on the floor. Oh, you, you, oh, are you afraid that that's cultural appropriation? <laughs> and if so, what, what does your sister think about I'm that? I'm going to be honest. I don't believe in cultural appropriation. <laughs> your sister doesn't get mad about it? No, no, no. no she doesn't. She doesn't correct you or anything? No, she doesn't. Okay, that's good. Um, so anyway, uh, thankfully... So during Ella's waking hour, so not thankfully for this, when Ella was really young, especially before she turned three, um, man, she was trying out for (laughs) (laughs) Al-Qaeda. They're hurting for members, man. Uh, Well, I mean, she uh, clearly was top of the class. (laughs) And... But but thankfully she sleeps like a rock, man. She sleeps eleven or twelve hours a night. Oh my god, I'm so jealous. Yeah, and me too. And like I get tired just thinking about <laughs> her sleeping for twelve hours a night. <laughs> it's unbelievable. But the rest of the day she wakes up and she's an instant tornado and she's <laughs> like what's that Tasmanian devil? Yeah. That's pretty much Ella throughout the entire day, and then all of a sudden she just crashes at night. That's great. Um so it works out well for her. But um, uh, that's not answering Silvio's question. How has ha- having a child changed your idea or practices as a minimalist? Well, I mean, I realized that minimalism, I, I knew this before, but it became more of a, a practice now. Minimalism is not about deprivation. You and I say that all the time. But I remember at first, like, I kind of wanted, um, you know, well, Ella, you know, kids don't really need any, any toys. They're happy with whatever they have. And I was really just projecting my own childhood onto her, like, because I didn't have many toys. Or the ones <laughs> I did were crappy. Uh, although in my neighborhood, I had more toys than anyone else. That's how I made all the friends. Dude, you had a Sega Genesis, man. I know, yeah, that's how I made literally all the friends in the neighborhood because they would come over fun- and play Sega Genesis. I thought you were rich. <laughs> because you had a Sega Genesis. We were on food stamps, and I had, and I was rich. That's oh my hilarious. god, dude! Yeah. Anyway, Toe and, Jam and Earl. Yeah. Yes. Oh man, we were good at Toe Jam and Earl. Anyway, uh, so so I mean, how has minimalism changed, or how has having a child changed my idea of of simplicity or minimalism? I've realized that minimalism is not about deprivation. I knew that in theory, but now I know it in practice because I don't want to deprive Ella of having the things that she wants. Now, the average child has 300 toys, but plays with only 12 daily. Wow. That tells me something here. That is a metaphor for our own lives because the average adult has 300,000 items and plays with you know twelve thousand daily. I don't know what the number is, but like it's not even that, right? Of right. course. And 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 so we just tend to accumulate more once we get older, and we're allowed to accumulate more. And so Ella has toys. I take Ella to the toy store, but I also instill the practice of contributing to her as well. So we go to the Goodwill once a month, and we let go of some stuff that she's no longer playing with. And, and she doesn't realize like I'm just getting rid of this stuff. So it's not the me explaining the theory of of contribution to her because she's not going to understand that she's five Mm. but what she does understand is hey i'm not playing with this anymore 
I can see another kid playing with it, mm-hmm. and I understand that I don't need this anymore. And if I get rid of this, I can bring new toys into my life that I will like, that I will enjoy. Isn't it crazy, like how kids love to help, man? Like mm. whether it's like you know with with anything, they just love to help. But especially with contribution, I could see where that would be exciting for Ella, or mm. at least being able to understand, like, oh, like I'm going to give this to another kid. This they is- really love to help. I mean, they want to hit the garage door button. They want to like everything. Turn yeah. the key. Like they want to help with everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the same is true with contribution. And so the thing that I've learned is, yes, Ella does great with a box of toys. But if she had ten boxes of toys or a hundred boxes of toys, she's not going to be ten times or a hundred times happier. In fact, uh, especially with someone like Ella who has a well it's called SPD sensory processing disorder Mm. and uh, she just gets overstimulated by sensory items especially physical items Mm. and and loud sounds loud sounds and bright lights her first words were mine eyes mine eyes (laughs) yeah because the sun was bright she goes mine eyes (laughs) those are her first words what is she like reading Shakespeare or something (laughs) yeah Yeah, so um, uh, the the so she, the clutter with her is actually it 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 like with me it, it stresses her out, mm. and so we make sure that you know she has just the appropriate amount of toys, and if she stops playing with something, then she not I don't donate it, she donates it. So there's someone who, who's going to ask what what is the appropriate amount? Well, it's twelve daily. <laughs> it's 12, 12 new toys daily. <laughs> no, I you, well, no, and I'm not actually asking for a number. Well, no. I, the reason why I bring that up is because the number is the appropriate amount. There isn't a number mm-hmm. that you can spread across the board with every child and say this is the appropriate amount. Yeah, well, I did a whole video on this with Ella actually on our YouTube channel. It's uh, we did one of the living room conversations. Sean, if you can put a link to that in the show notes. Um, we talked about how many toys kids should have, and I had Ella talk about it. She was playing her trumpet on the video as well, and so uh, we just we were playing like fire truck and hospital um, on the the the. She likes really gory things, which is disturbing. Like she's like, we we went to go like buy some like what are those called Playmate the the sort of play sets that you put together is that playmate i think something like that yeah. anyway we, we went and bought it and she was like going i want the the surgery room and i'm like okay <laughs> she wants to be a doctor yeah, she's like i want or the, a serial killer one I, or the other i want the morgue how do you know that word <laughs> <laughs> all right our next question is from connor this is a different connor how do you, this is connor with an o the previous connor was connor with an a hmm. connor asks how do you find happiness when you're stressed? This is from Connor Boyd. Ooh. Man, happiness is... Not the point. Yeah, it's a misnomer, I feel like, because, I mean, it's written in the Constitution, right? Like, everyone has the right to pursue happiness. The pursuit of happiness, not the right to happiness. Yeah, it's... Uh, God, it, it, that the pursuit of happiness can be, uh, I don't know, can be a deflating goal because Mm -hmm. like because i feel like in the corporate world i was continuously chasing happiness sure and i would get a new car or i go on a vacation or you know i'd buy you know i'd upgrade my my computer whatever it is upgrade my tv um i was kind of chasing that happiness but the more i chased it the further away i got from it yeah um so the for me when i'm stressed it's not about how can i be happy because, well, first off, stress is important. Like, I, I don't want to live a stress-free life. No, I mean, that sounds like death almost. Yeah, right? like, I, I want a little bit of friction. I, I want to have, I, I have the ability to have a little bit of stress because the 
someone told me in the corporate world one time there because I was complaining about how stressed out I was. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you know, Ryan, a little stress is good for you. And I agree with that. I did not have just a little bit of stress though when we were when we were in those jobs. But right. but I do agree with the statement that a little bit of stress is good because stress is an indicator that something is wrong. Your body is telling you, hey, you need to do something different. You have to take a different approach with whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah, there's good stress and bad stress. You yeah. you, you you exercise five, six days a week. Of course I do. I mean, you lift all... Oh, my God. Be careful. <laughs> Be careful. Put those guns away. Uh, Jordan, do not put that in the video. Shout out to the YouTube audience. Oh, there's going to be lightning bolts coming off of your biceps. It's going to be Actually, great. what you need to do is like CGI, like Arnold Schwarzenegger's arms. <laughs> do we have... <laughs> yes. Do, yeah. we, do we have any um, CGI programs? <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know what that means. Dude, we don't need, you know what? CGI means we wouldn't have to be here, man. He could just <laughs> CGI us in. We could do holograms now that I think about it. <laughs> All right, I'm uh, digressing. Sorry. Yeah, so so where was I going so with I work this? out. Yeah, you work, and, and that's a good kind of stress. You, you have to put enough stress on your body that you grow. So there's a certain amount of stress that you grow. If you were to work out seven hours a day, mm. you're go, your body's going to break down. You're going to atrophy. So there is, it's a bell curve. That's a good analogy. And, 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 then the, and as you grow, you can put more of the good kind of stress on you mm. as opposed to... Now, now physiologically... And psychologically, quite often your body does not know the difference between good stress and bad stress. Psychologically, you you can you can parse it out, right? Sure. But but the physical, the physiology of stress is going to be the same, even with good stress and bad stress. So you even have to be careful with the good stresses in your life, so not to get too much. You use the word friction, though. You want some friction in your life, and you need enough friction in order to to create traction mm-hmm. in your life because if you don't you, you think about when we were driving on the roads in montana and it's so icy there's no traction at all because there's no friction right it's frictionless it's black ice mm-hmm. and you're going to i mean literally you you someone ran you off the road because they hit a patch of black ice right. and your car flipped because they didn't have enough friction that created the traction to propel you forward. And so, yeah, I think, I think keep that in mind. So happiness is often a fruitless pursuit. And in fact, uh, our, we mentioned Chris Gillibo once we did a podcast with him. Uh, he had a book come out that was called, so, so you just mentioned the Constitution, right? The, everyone has the right to the pursuit of happiness. Yes. His book is called The Happiness of Pursuit. Oh, yeah. And so, so think about that the, the, that. the real happiness, the real contentment for me comes from the work or the creativity, the, the, the production, the passion itself, the pursuit. Quite all, in fact, think about that. Quite often we pursue these things thinking it's going to make us happy one day, but then you get there and you feel empty. Well, why is that? Because you thought the outcome is what was going to make you happy. It's not the outcome that's going to make you happy. It is the pursuit. It's enjoying the pursuit. And it's, it's become platitudinal at this point mm. where you're like, okay, yeah, I feel, enjoy the pursuit, enjoy the journey. Yeah, that, that's true. But really find ways to do something that you do enjoy. It's the reason writing is so appealing to me. Like I, in fact, I, there's this old platitude that actually doesn't make any sense to me personally. Writers don't enjoy writing. They enjoy having written. Yeah. I'm the exact opposite, man. Mm. Uh, Because when I, when I write, there's a good chunk of the time, 10 to 20% of the time where I get into this, like 
euphoric state where mm. everything is firing on all cylinders. But it takes half the time I want to put my head through a wall. Mm-hmm. The other 30% of the time, it's like, yeah, this is going pretty well. I feel good about sitting in structure. And all of a sudden, it starts clicking, clicking. I'm getting that flow state is what some people call it. Mm. And as that happens, I, I like there's there's no better feeling other than sex. And, <laughs> and, and like y- you just get going and going. That is the pursuit. Having the thing written, I can go back and look at the novel that I wrote um, and like cringe at parts of it. There are parts of it I could absolutely say, wow, I don't know how I wrote that. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. There are other parts where I'm like, yeah, As a Decade Fades was a good book considering I wrote a lot of it in my mid-20s over a decade ago. Yeah. uh, I'm trying to think of stuff I do when I stress out too much. Um, I will. Well, I'll give you an example. We were heading to the airport about a week ago. Uh, Mariah and I were. And we got into the car. We needed to be to the airport in about 45 minutes. We got into the Uber and the Uber driver's like, all right, we'll be there in about an hour. And I was like, oh man, like knowing that we were going to cut it really, really close to going to the airport. Mm-hmm. But then of course, you know, as we're driving, like I'm going through uh, what what uh, uh, Dan Harris talked about in our documentary with, okay, I know that I need to stress a little bit mm-hmm. because we do have to be, on time at the airport or right. as on time as possible. Sure. Um, I do want to, uh, you know, let the driver know like, hey, not not your problem, but if you could help us out or, you know, we're trying to get there as soon as possible. Without being a jerk yeah, about I'll it. Ma- I'll make sure to give you a big tip. Just, you know, just uh, just wanted to, you know, see if, if you would be willing to, you know, kind of pay a little bit extra attention and, you know, whatever, drive a little faster, whatever. Right. Uh, he was totally amicable. Um but even on the way to the airport, though, like he was doing everything he could. I was still like just stressing out a lot. He put on some jazz music. Yeah. I had no idea how soothing jazz music was. It was it like totally changed your state, right? Totally changed my state, man. Classical will do the same thing. You know who really does it for me? Hmm. Cigaros. Yeah, I can see that. I, I have this Pandora playlist. In fact, I pay for Pandora every month because in the mornings I like to just put on my Cigaros playlist. <laughs> And it recommends other songs as well. And it calms my... And it, it, Ella even was like, it's soft, soothing music. <laughs> oh, mine ears. <laughs> mine ears. <laughs> but no, so so uh, uh, with, with this question, how do I be happy when I stress out? I think the question needs to be reframed a little bit. Yes. How can I avoid the really bad stress in my life? Yeah. So, or how can I avoid over stressing? Mm-hmm. And it, that's where I would start with this question. Uh, to do that, yes, do things like listen, listen to some jazz, listen to some cigaros, uh, meditate. Meditation is such. A, this morning I was doing it. Mean, I was flipping out this morning because like I just had a really bad night of sleep. Mm-hmm. I uh, uh, just you know a bunch of little stupid things. You know, spilt my cup of coffee. You know, whatever. Just a bunch of little stupid things going on. Yeah. And because of the lack of sleep i just like wanted to put my fist through a wall um but i like just sat on the couch for like five minutes just did some breathing like in through the nose out through the mouth and uh, like i'll start counting like you know four four seconds in four seconds out but even you know after a minute of doing that i forget to count and i just you know start relaxing a little bit so you know any little things that you can do like that to help you uh, to help curb the stress but you know uh, approaching that question with how can i how can i stop the stress and then insert happiness um that's just I, to me that's a very poor expectation yeah definitely and that actually bridges right into the next question here kenneth asks 
What do you wish you had done earlier in your process to minimize quicker slash become happier quicker? <laughs> Here's the thing, guys. Happiness is the wrong pursuit. Happiness is ephemeral. Mm-hmm. And if you're always chasing ephemeral things, then you're always going to feel the pang of discontent. Tweet that podcast, Sean. And and, and, and so the thing that I'll add on top of that, the right pursuit is a more meaningful life. Mm-hmm. And so instead of pursuing happiness, pursue what a meaningful life means for you. Not the meaning of life. That's mm-hmm. another difficult question. I saw a bunch of people ask us that question on Twitter today for the lightning round. I've got a couple Twitter questions. Several. What's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? I don't know. I'll start. I'll, 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 div- I'll divulge or, or, or uh, digress into a... Um, nihilistic sort of rant if you ask me that i mean i'll say that growth and contribution is ultimately the meaning of life i, th- I think there's no point to life and it, it's actually freeing for me yeah. to realize that there isn't a point to any of this well, i mean so, so the it, it depends on what we mean by point right yeah. and so maybe there are better questions than this the 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 meaning of what's the meaning of life is not a great question. How do I become happier all the time? Bad question. And and the better question is what does a meaningful life look like to mm-hmm. you? Now for me, that means my values. I'm I'm really clear on what my values are and my actions align with what those values are. And whenever I slip, whenever I fall off the path, then all of a sudden I realize that discontent is coming from not because all of a sudden I'm not happy, mm-hmm. but because my values are 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 not being met in a way. So, Kenneth, with your question here, man, if I could, if Josh and I could give you a pill right now, we'll send you a pill in the mail. It'll make you as happy as you've ever been. They do have pills for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called MDMA. And then <laughs> you take the MDMA again the next day. And then you take it the third day. And then you take it the fourth day. And then you take it the fifth day. Um, that, w- you, it will start to become your new norm. Mm-hmm. So... I guess maybe a better way said the MDMA example is not that's not my best example. No, I think it's a great example because there's a crash after you take MDMA. There, a, there absolutely is a crash. So, so talk about that because people go to Burning Man and they take MDMA for two or three days and all of a sudden they're like they're they're miserable for several days. That's a perfect analogy. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. And that in that sense, it is the other thing I was going to say too though is so Kenneth, even if we, you know Josh and I could flip a switch right now and make you wake up every morning ecstatic. That it, that's manic. Yes. And uh, manic people, like at their, you know, at the extreme version of it, ex- like people who are truly, truly manic, like happy and excited about life. Well, they're a lot of the times they are out in the street directing <laughs> traffic. <laughs> and and, and Kenneth, they haven't been asked to direct traffic. Right, exactly. Like Kenneth, um, you don't want to be in the street directing traffic because because that person who is who is extremely manic, they truly they're in the street, they're happy about life, and they're like, oh, I can help traffic flow better. I'm just gonna go ahead and take initiative and do this. Yeah. A, a, a truly a truly happy person is when I say truly happy, uh, ex- a, a, an extremely happy person would be manic, and manic at its terminus. Um, is 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 a mental illness? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my father was manic depressive, and he had those fits where where he. I mean, and he was also schizophrenic, so he he had full on happy conversations with people who did not exist in the real world. Right. 
and uh, and and yeah, you don't want to be there. But what does a meaningful life look like to you? What are your values? Go back and listen to our values podcast episode. It's episode sixty nine. And if you want to get really clear on your values, my partner and I, uh, Rebecca and I, um, we go through our values all the time. And she has like a little one page worksheet. Uh, based on what what we go through, it's minimalwellness.com slash values. I feel like we really wasted episode sixty nine on the episode values. Hey, <laughs> but <laughs> well, hey, well, hold on. Well, we did. The, we already did the sex episode. That was with with Chris. I know Ryan. We, that should have been ex- uh, anyway. What we should, we should wait till one sixty nine. There was there. There's one more thing I want to add. Okay, and and maybe maybe you said this and I missed it, Milburn. But uh, if you pursue a meaningful life, if your short term actions are aligning with those long term values and beliefs. The beautiful thing is, is you do have happiness as a byproduct. It is not, you're not going to wake up every single morning and, you know, uh, ride to work on a unicorn going down rainbow road. Uh, but, but you will, you will find more meaning to your life. And when you, when you are able to do things that, uh, that, that are good for yourself, whether it's health or whether it's bringing in good relationships, or whether it's contributing beyond yourself, um, after you after you do those things, that's when that's when I feel happy is when I when I have those actions uh, when I take those actions that are in alignment with those those core values. But you're and the key there is that wasn't the ideal outcome; it was the byproduct yeah, itself. Right? Absolutely. Happiness is, is fleeting. Happiness, yeah. Is, yeah. 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 I mean, well, and I, there isn't even a goal for me. Like, I, I don't want there to be a goal. I want there to be a direction. Yeah. And and I, I think that that that's the that's the important thing is is what is my direction? My direction is to live a more meaningful life, to grow in, in that direction. And yes, I'll be happier more on the aggregate when I'm living a meaningful life. There will uh, there I could do a whole bunch of really stupid, irresponsible stuff and be happy in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. But eventually, you're, you're just like, oh, why did I do that? Yeah. And 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 longer term, the aggregate happiness is going to be much less when when you do that. Our next question is from Kim. This is hilarious. Why are you the minimalists so amazing at offering practical and valuable advice? <laughs> because we, you know, it's funny, man. Like I feel it's such an honor, man, to like be able to tell our stories uh-huh. and to tell our opinions and like people to find value in them. Uh, but the reason why we have, you know, good advice and, and, and maybe good opinions that people perceive and, and find value in is because we've screwed up so much in our lives. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and we, and I, I, I don't know about you, Josh, but I do continue. And our parents screwed up a lot too. Yeah. I continue to screw up too. And I like talking about those screw ups and, and helping other people learn from them. I mean, when I think about, uh, my upbringing, there are, uh, there are certain things that I will avoid altogether mm-hmm. because of the example that was set for me um, on how not to do things essentially. Yeah, I'm you, trying not to get too granular here because like I don't want to like... You have a template. Well, my parents are dead so I can talk about it. Right, right, right. Um, but, but what I'm saying is, is like there are certain things that I saw friends or friends of the family or family members do yeah. and really cause them a world of hurt. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm actually really grateful 
that I learn those lessons with uh, through them instead of learning them myself. And so there are some lessons that you will only learn through your own experience, sadly. Mm-hmm. But try to learn as many lessons from other people. I mean, ultimately, it has to do with... Uh, a, a body of knowledge. It drives me crazy when I see so many 23-year-olds who are becoming life coaches. <laughs> Most life coaches have no life experience. I'm 37. I don't even feel qualified to be a life coach. <laughs> right. Yeah, I feel like it, th- that's the thing. You mentor people. You have this mentoring business yeah. uh, on our website and you, I mean... Yeah, mentoring is uh, different because like right. I, can, I can speak from my own experience and hey, this is how I've done things. This is how I've made things work. Right. It's, it's a recipe. But I am not qualified to be a life coach. Yeah, and I think that's the thing where, where where I see these really like young people who aren't living congruent with the advice they're giving necessarily. And I think ultimately I take my own advice first and then I share that recipe with other people. Yeah. It's the reason why very rarely do I talk about my problems unless I have found out some sort of solution. Although last week on, on the podcast, um, we were talking about I had some, some sort of certain trauma I had to deal with, and I don't have a solution for that yet. Mm. And so I went into a little bit of depth on it to let people know, hey, yeah, I still have issues and, and, and problems. And Yeah, we, and, st- we don't wake up every morning manic. Right. Like, we still have to deal with stress. Yes. We still have to deal with emotions, uh, with, with the negative emotions. It's Minimalism is not about getting rid of those negative emotions. It's about learning how to how to live in the real world with those emotions. Yeah, and quite often it starts with the stuff for us because the material possessions are a physical manifestation of what's going on inside us. Mm -hmm. And so with those things, once we deal with that external clutter, we're able to start tamping down the internal clutter, the, the mental clutter, the spiritual clutter, the emotional clutter, the psychological clutter that's going on Mm -hmm. by dealing with that external stuff. Because for whatever reason, as human beings, we are so focused on the externalities, the facade, Mm -hmm. the accumulations, the trophies of so-called success that we ignore what's going on inside us. In fact, I've talked to several Buddhists about this and and, uh, some of the, the previous questions we answered here, people are you could, you could maybe replace the word happiness with excitement. Like, how do I be excited all the time? It's sort of the same thing. Yeah. And Buddhists, uh, they, they, avo- they, they avoid the, the negative emotions like depression and sadness. Let's just say sadness. Mm-hmm. But they also avoid excitement. Yeah, they call it the, uh, the middle way, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 So, no, I totally agree, man. It's like avoiding both extremes. Like the, the, taking that middle way is... Uh, is the best way to to avoid the, like like you said with the MDMA you have an extreme happiness you're going to have an extreme sadness eventually yeah it was this Matt Carney line one of our favorite musicians he uh, uh, in his song he said I'm trying to feel the highs without the lows and like that's, that's the problem yeah and, and and if you want to feel the extreme excitement you're going to feel the extreme downside as well and so I I, I instead try to find that middle way and it will certainly oscillate between happy and sad or whatever but there are certainly more great days for me now more outstanding days even with all the problems that i've had over the last several years with my health than if i weren't living intentionally yeah jb asks how have you learned to sit with discomfort after removing your pacifiers? Any practical tips? Oh. Or does the arrival of dis- discomfort always signify that you need to change something? 
No, discomfort is it often signifies growth, right? In fact, you want to sit in the discomfort zone, as Jonathan Friends and his his memoir is called the discomfort zone, mm-hmm. and and that's the place from which you grow is mm-hmm. when you're. Because imagine if you're uh, the, if you were to like rephrase this question, Ryan. Um, what do you learn from sitting in absolute luxury and comfort? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's absolutely true, man. You've got to, you have to make yourself a little bit uncomfortable to grow. Going back to working out, working out is uncomfortable. Yes. Like, in fact, yeah, Sam Harris talks about this. If you imagine the pain that you feel from working out, mm-hmm. especially like the day after, if you have a really, you, I'm, I can look at you right now, tell you do a lot of bench pressing. <laughs> I and, do all the bench presses. <laughs> but like, if you have a really like heavy chest day or squat day, you, and your legs are on fire the next day, you know I what I'm talking so about? Many squats, but I still have no butt. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. All right, keep going. Sorry. Uh, um, and so, yes, lots of squats. Yeah, and your legs are on fire the yeah, next day, yeah. right? Imagine if you had done that you would and, and you're and you felt that pain mm. you would think you were dying yeah and, and and so you also the discomfort you experience is perspectival in a way where you realize like i've created this 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 discomfort so i can grow it's funny too man like you think about a massage and like those deep tissue massages after mm-hmm. the massage oh I yeah f- feel so good but like during that massage there there is this uncomfortable downright sometimes like painful moments have you done rolfing oh no that's just like that's just straight pain i yeah i've had i've had it done on my my legs because i have really tight uh thighs and and yeah you do but uh uh calves and the shins my thin my shins are especially tight and so how pain i I didn't know you did that how how painful was that um nine nine out of ten wow yeah yeah just like a constant nine uh well no there's like you have to have like breaks so do do something it's like ah like literally screaming oh my god could you imagine um, like and that bruises. being your job as a rolfer like <laughs> people scream all well, day long yeah but if you're if you're a sadist like it's the perfect job for you <laughs> <laughs> but like any sadist out there looking for a new line of work <laughs> yeah. become a rolfer yeah so r- for those of you who don't know ro- rolfing is like really 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 deep tissue massage and it's painful but I, and and I mean, it, I couldn't walk for two or three days straight mm. afterward. But the relief I got for several months after that, uh, uh, loosening up the scar tissue in my legs, mm. it was amazing. But there were bruises all over my shins for several days after that. Dude, I'll tell you, man. Uh, when we were on the Kevin Rose podcast, he brought up some. I don't know if he said it on the podcast or if he was just kind of talking about it with That's us. That's out right now, by the way. So if you all want to check it out, we had a we we flew up to. Uh, Portland just to hang out with Kevin Rose at his house. It was it was, it was awesome. So he had such a huge house, but it was a minimal. It was still aggressively minimal. Aggressively minimalist. It was it's un- beautiful. It's like one of my favorite houses I've ever been in. It's unbelievable. But I don't know if he said this on the podcast or if when we were just having conversation before we we did the podcast. But he he said something along the lines of, "He's like, yeah, I've just always been the type of person where you know I look at something like boredom, and like that makes me uncomfortable. And then I tell myself." Yeah, you know what? I'm going to get comfortable with boredom. So then he talked about how he went out of his way to make himself bored so he could figure out how to start to get comfortable with being bored. Yeah. And and to me, finding those uncomfortable areas, I actually like seek those out. I mean, not, you know, 100% of the time, 24 hours a day, but there are like that totally inspired me to uh well, I mean, I haven't really talked to you about this yet, but I eventually like I want to take by myself Mm -hmm. I want to take like a week and I want to go to like 
a container home in Montana or something and just like I want to be as bored as I have ever been mm. in my life just just to see uh, uh, how comfortable I can get with it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and almost like a reset too, maybe like a, uh, or maybe a silent meditation. Yeah, retreat. I can I'm talk like, to Dan. We can talk to Dan about it. Yeah, uh, Dan Harris. And do something like that. But, you know, I think about too, when we moved, when we moved to Missoula, I remember I didn't, you know, I got plugged in relatively quick. It took me a couple, three months before I found a community of people and like some friends and stuff. But there was this time yeah. where it was just you, Colin and I, mm-hmm. and you know, you and Colin, uh, the, the, being the introverts that you are, didn't want to always hang out. Yeah, me being the extrovert, I was always bugging you guys to hang out. <laughs> but what I realized is like, okay, like I want to respect these guys, uh, uh, you know, their time. I, I want to respect uh, their needs, so I'm not going to like sit there and ask them to do everything. So I'm going to go and I'm going to try to do stuff by myself. And I went out like for the first time in my life when we moved to Missoula, I went to a movie. By my, I started to go to movies by myself. Yeah, and I remember you and our our rest in peace, one of our good friends, Stan Dukes. You guys always talked. Oh yeah, I went and saw this movie, and I'd ask you guys, oh well, who who did you go with? Oh, I just went by myself. And to me, as an extrovert, I'm like, that is weird. <laughs> Why would you go to? What you like, kind of weirdo going to the movies by yourself? I prefer going to the movies by myself. <laughs> right. I, I might go do that after this podcast. So, so um, what I did is, is uh, yeah, I started to go to movies by myself. I started to put myself in this discomfort zone so I could get used to uh, uh, just being with myself, yeah. being comfortable with but myself. The, the boredom that you're, the perceived boredom, and that's the thing. Sure. Once you realize, uh, one of my favorite books is The Pale King by David Foster Wallace and uh, it's a book about boredom it takes place in Peoria Illinois mm. in 1985 predominantly in the IRS office I mean there's an entire chapter of people just turning pages in in the chapter yeah. but it's what you realize is there's also beauty in the boredom because he the book is written so beautifully mm. I mean it's every sentence is gorgeous mm. and and you realize it's a boring book, but it's a beautiful book, and there's something beautiful within the boredom. And it's the same thing that Buddhist monks realize, that yeah. it's not actual boredom. It's not, boredom doesn't exist. The, uh, the, there, there's no such thing as boring, only boring people. Yeah. And, and once you realize that, like you can realize you can be completely content and satisfied just in your own mind. Yeah. All right. Um, oh, this is from Austin Carter. I wonder if that, this is our Austin. Is this him? He left this question. Shout out to Austin. He he manages uh, the the building in which our our studio is. Yeah, he manages WeWorks without the S. <laughs> Wait, it's not. You don't need to say that. It's like I went to Walmart's to buy some toilet paper. It's, a, it's a, such a Midwestern thing. <laughs> it really is. Adding um, S on everything. Anyway. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, Austin says. Why do you do what you do? Have you ever doubted following the path that you're currently on? I mean, it depends on what you mean by do what you do, right? It's one of the, in fact, this is a better way to ask this question than the way we typically ask the question is Mm. what do you do? Yeah. Because can you imagine how uncomfortable you make someone though? If instead of saying what do you do say why do you do what you do hi i'm ryan why oh, do you do my. what you do yeah it reminds me of the the, the rob bell parable well it's, it's a, i think it's a it's an old sort of i don't know iraqi parable or something or hebrew parable but like the yeah the 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 rabbi is, is walking to the the gates of the roman city and he stopped there and uh the roman guard says 
who are you and what are you doing here? And the rabbi goes, excuse me? He says, who are you and what are you doing here? And the rabbi goes, how much are they paying you? And, and the, the Roman soldier goes, uh, $100 a day. And he goes, well, I'll pay you twice that to come to my house every morning and ask me those same two questions. <laughs> That's so good. And uh, because we often don't think of these like, they almost seem like remedial questions, elementary questions where, where, where it's like, well, who are you and what, what, what are you, what doing, are you doing here? here? Yeah. Oh my God, the profundity in that. And the same thing with Austin's question here. Why do you do what you do? Man, now, why do you do what we do? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm driven to create. Yeah. And, and ultimately, it's the act of, of creating that really brings me joy and fulfillment. And uh, uh, it align. I do what I do because it aligns with my values. It's a beautiful accident that we reached this path. Mm-hmm. Initially, when I left the corporate world, I wanted to write fiction full time. And um, I published my novel around that same time using a lot of the writings that I wrote throughout my, my 20s. And uh, that helped me pay off some debt that, that I had. And... At the same time, though, when we started the minimalists.com, it was like, hey, this is a different vehicle through which I can write. I want to write. Maybe I don't just have to write fiction. I can be creative mm-hmm. and write nonfiction, write blog posts, and maybe eventually write nonfiction books, which we did. But then I realized, like, oh, it's not just the vehicle of writing. There are other better ways to communicate with people. Writing is a great way to communicate with one set of people. Mm-hmm. A podcast is another way to communicate with a different set of people. Film is another way to communicate with other people. Social media and then YouTube is another way to communicate with people. And so ultimately, I do what I do because I enjoy the act of creating. Yeah, I mean, for me, I know this sounds like really like lame and cliche, but I just want to save the world, man. I mean, <laughs> if I could, I would. Um, but, you know, I know that that's impossible. So maybe um, it's about saving some people. Yeah, it's not. I mean, and it's and, and I don't want to confuse that with like making a dent in the universe. Okay. Because that's not what I'm trying to do. As much as I am, I am driven to help people on a on a daily basis. Yeah. And you know, in our old corporate job, that was about ten percent of my my job was to help other people. Maybe you know twenty percent, but regardless, um, that's that's where I wanted a hundred percent of my attention to that be. Was, that was the most fulfilling and rewarding part for you, right? right? So, so this, this, you know, the, the, the minimalists, uh, this just happens to be a vehicle that I use to, to really help people. And I know that's such a cliche. What, what's your passion? I just like to help people, mm-hmm. but, uh, but it really is my passion and I have found a way to do it. So ha- have I ever questioned the path that I'm on? <sighs> Man. Um, I wish I had a sexy answer for this. No, I, I haven't. Uh, cause ultimately, you know, dude, if, if, you know, the, we couldn't do the podcast anymore, we couldn't sell books. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do the mentoring program. You couldn't do the writing class. Yeah. We could, I, we couldn't do speaking engages. I mean, if everything was taken away from us yeah. and it very well may be one day, I mean, I, that's a very, I mean, it's every, anything's possible, right? Absolutely. But the thing is, is that if that did happen, I would still, I would still be a huge, uh, uh, supporter of minimalism. I wouldn't look at minimalism and say, oh, well, everything got screwed up and minimalism turns out it wasn't the answer. It's like, you know, when when when, uh, when Joe Ling was interviewing us yesterday for the Today Show and she said, you know, uh, 
uh oh my god i totally forgot where i was going with that i had like two <laughs> my add self just like totally wrecked my 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 train of thought but uh god, what was i just saying well, you were talking about the the path you're going on if minimalism all collapsed it's not that you would say well minimalism sucks now right right exactly so um man i really for, I forget the question she well, asked I, on it so here's here's i have a different answer from you I, I yeah i question it all the time mm-hmm uh, I question the path I'm on, and I think it's important for me to do so because otherwise, uh, what's going to happen for me is I could see myself just going down a path because it's become second nature for me. And if I don't question it, mm-hmm. then I'm just going with the flow. Oh, yeah. And I've done this from time to time where I accidentally say yes to too many things. Mm-hmm. And I've had to get really good at saying no. And the way that I do that is by asking the question, like, is this the best use of my resources? And we have the, the acronym for our, our five most precious resources resources right the steam acronym yeah. our skills so is this the best use of my skills right now mm-hmm. is uh is this the best use of my time that's a t is this the best use of my energy i'm putting all my energy into this is this the best use of that energy or could i use it somewhere else mm-hmm. so that's asking that question uh the a is this the best use of my attention i this takes all of my attention if i want to do this well i better i better give it my all of my attention and then my money we're paying to put this damn podcast out there shout out to our patreon supporters thank you <laughs> but but we're paying to put this podcast out. is this the best use of my money and right now because i i am driven to create and this is one creative vehicle for us i look at our creative vehicles as a tripod the writing is first for me the podcast is second and the video stuff is third and those change from time to time uh, right now we're heavily focused on our second documentary so that that is take that at one point will be the top priority for us mm-hmm. um in fact, in terms of creating, it's the number one priority for us right now. But in terms of getting out to the world, it will eventually be the top priority. So yes, I'm questioning that path every day to make sure that either either I need to pivot paths a little bit, mm-hmm. five degrees here, five degrees there, but I'm also willing to turn around and go in the opposite direction if necessary. Yeah, absolutely. I do remember what I was going to say now. I mean, when it comes to minimalism and me being a, a supporter or you know propagating this message, uh, it is beneficial to everyone. Joe Ling yesterday, what she asked was, she was like, do you think minimalism is applicable to everyone in the world? Mm-hmm. And my answer is yes, absolutely. Everyone can afford to be very deliberate with their choices and with their resources. So regardless of w- whether we have a podcast or whether we have a big social media following or whether we have a documentary, this lifestyle of living deliberately, it's its not just good for everyone in the world, but I believe it's necessary for everyone in the world, especially with the population growing, with the resource, these non-renewable resources dwindling. Um, it is very important for us as as not just you know a Western society, but everyone in the world to uh, to live deliberately. I totally agree with what you're saying, though. Like I, it's not that I don't, it's not that I don't don't question <laughs> the path we're on. Meaning, I will ask myself: Is there a better way for me to add value to people's lives? Is there a better way for me to help people? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I totally agree in that sense. Like I am constantly asking that question in fact you know we were talking about the the the, the deal that we got worked out that we're going to be able to talk about here at the beginning of 2019 mm-hmm. that was one of the questions i was asking myself like is this the best use of our time is this the best way that we can get uh get help out to other people or add value to other people's lives and the answer is yeah like absolutely yeah but we had to be really deliberate about that right and, and so asking those questions is important if you want if you want better answers then ask better questions mm-hmm. all right let's do one more question here then we'll move to the lightning round Sophie asks, how did you create your empire? (laughs) What advice would you give to someone trying to start their own company whilst being minimal 
and cutting all social media. Well, I mean, uh, social media doesn't, it depends on what, what you're trying to accomplish. With social media, I was, I was talking to my doctor about this last night, actually. He was mm-hmm. like, I really like what you guys do with social media. Um, and, but he was like, it, don't you feel like it's kind of impersonal? You, you have a, a social media manager who manages your social media, Jessica, mm-hmm. who does a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. And, and my answer to him was, no, it's still us. Like every word that is posted on our social media is ours. Mm-hmm. Um, we happen to have a curator and she's literally a curator. She's worked for several art galleries. Like we hired a curator mm-hmm. to help us curate and effectively communicate our so- on our social media channels. But also we use the platforms not to drive people back to us for more revenue, we find ways to create value, add value via those platforms, not to say, well, check out our new supplement or here's a sponsored post or uh, you know, click onto our website right now. In fact, on Twitter, we use it only for text, right? We don't have any, any links. We don't have any photos. And, and that's the best way for us to add value, to communicate mm-hmm. with our audience there. For Instagram, it's really beautiful photographs with beautiful words accompanying the photographs. And with Facebook, it's like, well, here's some articles that we find to be useful, but it's still us. And so it's us sharing us. We, you and I did a Instagram video this morning talking about the 30-day minimalism game. And uh, you know, we just have fun with it, but we add value. We don't have an expectation of, well, this is going to, what's the ROI on this post going yeah. to be? Our expectation isn't always to have fun either. It's, no, but, but it's to add value. Yeah, absolutely. You know, with any entrepreneurial endeavor, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you find a way to add value to other people's lives. If you can find a way that truly adds values to people's lives, it could be a really nice coffee mug or it could be a book. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, if people find value in it, they're going to be willing to pay you. So for any entrepreneur out there, uh, well, <clears throat> just going back to this, answering this question head on, how do we create this empire? I don't have a freaking clue, honestly. Yeah. I mean, and I don't even like really look at what we have as an empire. I mean, we're able to make a living off of what we do and you know, we, we are well known, but there isn't a re- there, the recipe that if I could, you know, sit here and go back and write the recipe on how we got from minimalism, live a meaningful life to uh, this second documentary that we have, there's probably a recipe there, but it's not something that anyone can really replicate. They can take pieces from it they can take ingredients from it and make their own recipe, but doing exactly what you and I have done, uh, that is a really bad expectation for anyone to do. But just because we, we didn't do that with any, we didn't take anyone else's exact recipe. So we're going to do that same exact thing right. because then you're just going to be a copy. Right, exactly. So, so you know, we found ways to add value to people's lives. We never put a a uh, money marker on. I mean, in fact, dude, we were we, we were talking about opening a coffee shop or like being baristas. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until I got laid off and people were like, "Why haven't you written a book yet?" And we're like, "Oh yeah, we're the minimalists. We should write a book." Right. I mean, we people were asking us for something, so then we we wrote a book and we gave that to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, uh, when you when you are putting a money-making driver on it, uh, that is not nearly as important as how can I add value to people's lives today? What can I do for someone that they're going to be willing to support me to help them do? Help people solve problems, the money will follow. Yeah. There's a minimal maxim for you. Uh, also, if I go back and look at what we did, it money was initially not part of it at all it was it was a creative outlet 
and yeah for the first year we didn't sell anything yeah i mean we talked about making twenty three thousand dollars into the at the year most of that was the end of the year because our book came out at the end of the year that's true and and so um that's the thing you have to keep in mind we we just what's uh what uh, gary v calls punch punch or jab jab right hook is that right <laughs> but really he's like if i because he has a book called jab jab right hook he's mm-hmm. like if i would have been able to pick the title it would actually been jab 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 right hook and that's the thing like he he works really hard on adding immense value over and over with no asks and eventually the right hook is like hey i put this book out would you be willing to support me yeah and it's and it's it is a symbiotic relationship man it's not like this okay i'm gonna like how can i get all these people to support me so i could do this one big thing to make to make money as much as it is when you are adding value to people's lives the money follows because when you build that relationship with an audience or with a customer they start to uh, uh, let you know more of what they want mm-hmm. and if you can kind of keep that symbiotic relationship going you will always find a way to make money from the value that you are adding to other people's lives because they were, are willing to support you yes shout out to our patreon supporters thank you for these questions here we'd love to hear what you all have to say so if you have a, a comment or tip about anything that we've talked about today and including advice for anyone who asked a question, leave us a comment over at uh, 406-219-7839. You can also email a voice memo right to podcast at theminimalists.com where are our favorite comments and tips on a future episode. And stay tuned to the end of this episode for this week's listener comments and tips. Ryan, what time is it? It is time for our lightning round where we answer questions from social media. Indeed we do. We are uh, at The Minimalists on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And uh, during the lightning round, this is where Ryan and I each do our best to answer every question with just a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. We also put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you'd like. And now you can find all of our quotes in one place. Thanks to our good friend, Jessica Lynn Williams. Uh, That place is minimalmaxims.com. All right. Our first question is from Cindy. Cindy wrote, oh, this is good, man. If you came into a large amount of money, say 10 million, I'm assuming she means dollars. Yes. Would you still be 10 million sterling or pesos? Oh, would you sterling? That changes everything. (laughs) (laughs) If you came into a large amount of money, say $10 million, would you still be a minimalist or would you slowly find yourself slipping back to more, bigger, and better? Dude, if someone dropped $10 million... Ferraris for both of us immediately. Yeah, minimalist Ferraris. If someone dropped millions of dollars in our lap... I'd be so grateful. I'd be so grateful, but dude, I would... uh, I would honestly, I'd become a philanthropist. I mean, yeah. I would, I'd, I'd have enough money, you know. Well, the to, funny thing is, you're already a philanthropist. I know, I know. But what I guess what I'm saying is, is it would enable me to be more of a philanthropist. Like, yeah. on, honestly, if I had $10 million, I'd be having a conversation with you about, hey, how can I go around and just start building elementary schools in, in third world countries that really, really need it? Yeah, yeah. Well, what's the appropriate use of this money? I'll tell you right. how my life would change if someone dropped t- because $10 million on me. It, it wouldn't. Um, there would be some ancillary things that would shift. So instead of renting uh, a house, because I can't afford to buy a house in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. I would buy a house, mm-hmm. uh, a relatively minimalist house, right? <laughs> um, and and one that was appropriate for me. It may even be in the same building I'm in, I'm in a condo building. We mm-hmm. rent an apartment in a condo building. Mm-hmm. And so I might just buy an apartment there, right? And and what I would realize, like, I would be able to, that way I, I'm more financially secure, right? And, and 
in, in owning a property. I own a house right now in Dayton, Ohio, a rental property, right? Because I could afford to, to buy that house. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yes, would I buy my own property instead of renting? Yeah, but, but nothing, nothing in terms of my lifestyle would change no. at all. It's not like we're, oh, we need a, a studio that's twice the size, Ryan. What are we going to do with a studio twice the size? This is the perfect size studio. We're we going to get more sound panels. Well, you know, it's funny, dude. Like, I'm just thinking about any, any time that I sit down and I start to create something, whatever it is. It's the driver is never. Oh, I got to get this done because we got to make money. Mm. Oh, if I don't get this done, then we're not going to be able to pay the bills. That's miserable, man. Yeah, dude. So uh, I would still have the same approach. I mean, it would still be, um, it would still be creating. Um, but but yeah, I, I th- if we have millions of dollars, it would just give us the financial means to to do some better and bigger philanthropic things. So yes, we would go for better and bigger philanthropic things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so if I have a pithy answer, I think I said it earlier, but let me try to encapsulate it into a, a tweet for you podcast, Sean. It would be something like, uh, money's allowed to be a passenger in the vehicle, but it never sits in the driver's seat. Mm. Ooh. Yeah. Come up with this on the fly. Nice, dude. All right. Uh, what's the next question, Ryan? Well, I'll give you my pithy answer. Oh, go for it. Podcast, Sean. Uh, when money is the driver in your life, you're going to have, you're going to have a really unhappy life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or I guess another way is, uh, actually we'll just leave it at that. All right. Next question is from Rick. Rick writes in is minimalism different in the USA versus remote Ethiopia or remote Congo. I think this is a way of asking is are poor people. Can they be minimalists? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. So you and I grew up poor, but not remote Congo poor. No. Uh, so, so we grew up America poor, which is rich. I mean, t- compared to a lot of other third world countries, it's not even, it doesn't have to do with the, the richness necessarily. Um, it has to do with safety at that point. Like mm. I lived in a poor neighborhood that wasn't a dangerous neighborhood. It, it, yes. it was, uh, it, I mean, it's relatively dangerous to, 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 you, if you know, want looking Beverly for Hills. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah, but it's not like South South Chicago or over the Rhine, Cincinnati. Well, what over the Rhine used to be, not anymore. Right. Over the Rhine now is uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, and and so I, I, I didn't experience uh, war torn civil war. Uh, South Sudan or something like that. However, let me say this. I think my answer on this has evolved a little bit just because we've had a lot of experience of we've gotten emails from people who live in Afghanistan. I'm not talking about troops in Afghanistan. I'm talking about natives of Afghanistan who will send us an email and say, hey, you guys ever going to do a tour stop over here? (laughs) Really big fan of your blog and uh, we could really use your message in Afghanistan. Mm. Had people from Kenya email us and say, hey, really a fan of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there any chance you're going to come to Kenya to uh, to give a talk about helping us uh, deal with consumerism over mm-hmm. here? And it's like, oh, we're all we're all human. In fact, primates, you go back to the, the chimpanzee studies, um, the, there's, I think it was NPR, I'm, I'm not sure where, but uh, uh, who had the story about chimpanzees when, when they are, was it bonobos? I'm pretty sure it's chimpanzees because they're way more violent than bonobos. Bonobos <laughs> just screw each other all the time. Um, <laughs> which that's the, the society we should aspire to be like. Uh. Um, anyway, uh, uh, I think it was the chimps, they're given uh, the bananas. Uh, if you give a chimp a banana, mm-hmm. they will eat the banana. Mm-hmm. Hey, thanks for the banana. I'll eat the banana, right? You give them enough bananas to share with their tr- immediate tribe. They eat a banana first, and they share the bananas with their tribe. You give them a a, uh, a horde of bananas, like a mountain of bananas, you know, a mound of, mm-hmm. of bananas. A pile, yeah, a big yeah. pile. Yeah, I'm with you. They will fight other chimpanzees to the death. It's crazy. 
And I think we do that as humans as well. We, we, we're, we want to share. You talked about at the beginning of this episode, kids want to, to share, they want to help. Mm-hmm. But at some point, there's some switch that flips and all of a sudden, we want to hold on to our hoard. We want to protect our hoard. Yeah. And uh, I think no matter where we are, we can benefit from intentionality. Yeah, that's a good that's a good minimal maxim right there. Maybe. We'll see if, if it's if it's tweetable. Yeah, I mean, is it different in the US than it is in remote Ethiopia? I mean, uh, lives are different in Ethiopia than in the US. Mm-hmm. So it does minimalism or whatever ism you want to ask. I mean, yeah, of course it's going to look a little bit different. I mean, if if you want to you know, uh, think about a family who's going through this civil war war-torn village mm-hmm. uh decluttering their closet is going to be the furthest thing from their mind uh you know safety is going to be number one priority there mm-hmm. um so uh, you know in in these I'm, and i'm just going to the extreme here you know in in a situation where you've got crazy violence happening and you know ethnic cleansing going on and things like that um, yeah, it's it, th- life's going to look a little bit different there in general. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and so life's going to be different uh, no matter where you are. If, if you're living, you know, we're from Dayton, Ohio, mm-hmm. and life in Dayton is different from life in California. Yeah. Um, and and the thing that I've realized though is no matter how many resources you have, if you have the ten million dollars from the previous question, you want to be deliberate with those. Mm-hmm. You and I won the lottery. We were born in America. That's like winning the lottery. But yeah. guess how many lottery winder, winners end up broke? Yeah. And so you may have won the, the genetic lottery. I know I certainly didn't win the genetic lottery. <laughs> but but you might still end up broke with whatever lottery you won. There are other people who didn't win any kind of lottery at all who are still able to, to overcome all of that and thrive. P.S. Ryan, I don't have one more question for you, but this week, uh, Podcast Sean, let's put up the Ask the Minimalist Anything. We did a, uh, a live stream. We, we just recorded, a, I think it was live stream number 14. We're going to take the audio from that and give it out to our Patreon supporters. The, the video was exclusively for our Patreon supporters as well. So if you want to help keep this podcast 100% advertisement free, then head on over to theminimalists.com slash support. And here is a snippet from this week's private, actually we're not calling it a postscript episode, we're just going to call it the Minimalist Private Podcast. Here is a, a excerpt from this week's private podcast. Maybe the, the key here is you, you have gone through a divorce, but you might, might need to divorce yourself of the trauma and the things that trigger the trauma because yeah. the trauma is not in the things. Mm-hmm. The memories aren't in the things, but these things are triggering mm. the memories that are inside you. All right, y'all, let's move on to our added value portion of the show. So Ryan and I each talk about something that has added value to our lives recently. Um, you know, I, I uh, I know you you like country music more than I do, way more than I do. I don't like country music at all. Well, it's just funny. Um, there's only a couple new artists that I like. Yeah, but like I like the old, like Johnny Cash, like that type of country. I like right, right, anyway. more more Western than country in yeah, a way. Yeah. Well, there there is uh, you know Kelly Musgraves is right. She's mm-hmm. like a household name these days, a famous country star. Uh, don't I don't love her music personally, but her husband, his name is uh, Rustin Kelly. And his new album just count. And it's not country, but it is it's singer-songwriter that 
is on the if there was twang in his voice you would call it country music uh, right okay and there's something about it that we earlier in the episode ryan you and i were talking about like making bad decisions because of that the what jordan called fleeting happiness is fleeting mm-hmm. like we do these things and it's almost like he he talks about um pill addiction he talks about alcohol addiction he talks about sex addiction mm. on this album and it is called dying star and the album is phenomenal i was walking around uh west hollywood the other night i couldn't go to i, I, I usually go to bed try to go to bed around eight and i couldn't sleep so i just it's like nine thirty, and i just got out of bed and started walking around west hollywood when was this uh just a few nights ago like, like saturday night like a weekend night yeah i'm just, <laughs> yeah crazy, I, was walking, I was walking down the sunset strip oh my god listening to this album i don't even know how like walking down sunset could relax you yeah well i it was i was it wasn't about being it was well with this music it was this weird dichotomy because i was walking down the sunset strip and it's this music sort of like it's re- it's music about making repeated bad decisions and you're talking about learning from other people's bad decisions and so maybe at the end of this episode there's a, a song in there called jericho because at the end of this episode there's just a little tiny bit of hope uh, at the end of this like uh album filled of bad decisions and and self-inflicted despair and uh it's it's a great it's a great album the music the writing is is beautiful and uh, the song called Jericho is uh, its like a great way to uh, to end this episode, I think. Awesome, man. Uh, I got an album recommendation. Uh, there's a band called Alkaline Trio. You would not like them, Josh. They are uh, a little bit more uh, kind of like Spill Canvas. Yeah, I wrote about them in, in my novel, The Spill Canvas. Yeah, um, yeah. They are... Um, how would you describe their music? What would you call it? Too many guitars. <laughs> what is this? The Eagles? Um <laughs> No, it's not too many guitars. It's it's just like fast paced, like like they have this, they have very soft parts, uh-huh. but then it gets very it builds fast. up every song. Yeah, exactly, dude. Yeah, um, they just came out with an album. I call it a- acoustic guar. They, <laughs> it's, it's actually not too bad. I'm just kidding. I don't know what that would actually sound like. Yeah, um, that's hilarious. It uh, album is called "Is This Thing Cursed." Uh, it's a good album. I mean, you got you have to like that type of music. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know what 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 is that genre alternative i guess it would just be alternative yeah yeah it's, it's so weird like alternative is sort of this catch-all phrase alternative right? used to be cool what happened i don't know <laughs> it's, it's not like cool every, anymore yeah everything else man I, yeah yeah everything you know the, the word cool used to be cool and then it was uncool and now it's cool again oh my goodness it's like tommy hilfiger oh my god <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, oh, yeah. Right here, right now. Let's talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists, Ryan. Well, we just did the Today Show interview. I, that might even be out by the time this episode comes out. If so, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. If not, then we won't. Um, what else is going on in our lives? You're getting ready to travel. Yeah, heading to Montana today, actually. Uh, going to so right after for about 10 podcast. days. Yeah, going to hang out with some family. Um, Man, you know, we can't really talk about the project that we just, the big project that we just signed yeah let's call it still project z we're calling nice nice um i don't know man what else is going on dude hi my name is carrie joe crandall i'm calling from kansas city missouri my comment is for timothy from the spouses episode i found minimalism about six years ago and my husband wasn't on board but i slowly started moving my things around getting rid of things an excess clutter in my life to where he saw that I was becoming a happier person. And once I got rid of my things, he started picking up on things that he could declutter in his life. And through conversations, gentle conversations with each other, 
we were able to condense down pretty much everything that we had. We had lots of conversation, lots of frustrations, but more good conversations through um, getting rid of the things that I have. And uh, when we started working together as a team, it's when we really started seeing how awesome minimalism was for our marriage. So I just encourage you to just slowly, slowly start moving your things around to where she can see that by you getting rid of things that were excess to you, she will notice that you are now happier and that maybe she will want to jump on board to be with you so that you can be happier together. Hey, this is Jesse from Kansas City, and I just have a, a quick tip that's sort of a technical version of a packing party. I had too many apps on my phone. I know a lot of us have that same issue. So what I did is I deleted every single one that the operating system would allow me to, and then I would just re-download it as soon as I needed it. I would just keep those ones that I needed. Hi, minimalists. This is Emma calling from Mammoth Lakes, California. Just a tip for people with gift giving. Um, in my family, we have a very large family, and what we've decided to do recently is draw names. So at Thanksgiving, we all pick a name, and we receive one name for a family member. And we exclude some people, mom and dad, we always can get them gifts. But as for the siblings, we each pick another sibling's name, and that way we're in charge of only that person's gift. And this just makes it easier because we're able to spend a little more money on something that might bring them a little more value or maybe be a more exciting experience for them, um, something they will really appreciate more than just going and buying someone a pair of socks for their stocking. That's it. I think uh, if you all leave here today with one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Oh, and check out Jericho by Rustin Kelly. See you guys. You can walk, walk to Bethesda. There's no house on Mercy Street. You might get lost in the company of angels, ignoring the stones tied around your feet. Yeah, you gotta try for something. Bend your knee and fight for something. Learn how to die for something. So you ain't living life. Souls were never made to fail I raised Jericho around me But these walls were built to scale I framed a fortress round my heart Carved her name in the old front door So she would know Love still stands here forever, even when she's gone. Love can be a heat wave. Love can be cold rain. Shadows at play on the walls of your room. 